Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, welcome back everybody. Hey everyone, we are so glad that you're here. We love episodes and we love doing interviews and you know that our community is just amazing as a whole and we want to dive into a new topic with you all today. We're really excited because this is a very unique interview. Not only is she a part of the sports industry, but she's got her own boss woman job going on and full time with that, but we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to throw it on over to her and let her introduce herself. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm McCall Dolkies. My husband is Davidus Dolkies. He's a player development coach for the Sacramento Kings. This is his second season as a coach. Last year, we were in Memphis with the Grizzlies. And then prior to that, he played professionally in Europe for the last 10 years. So we have three kids, a daughter who's five and twin three-year-old boys. And I am also an interior designer. Wow. Okay. So lots to talk about here, but I'm going to back it up a little bit because I want to hear about how you guys met and how you got into the sports industry. Yeah. Davidus and I met at Florida State. We both went to Florida State. He's actually from Lithuania. So he came over to the States for high school to play basketball and then got recruited at Florida State. So we met super early on in college, just out one night with a bunch of mutual friends. And we've been together ever since. So 15 years we've been together. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you've seen each other through a lot of different transitions then through college and post-college. I'm sure that's crazy. So what was it like when you started in the sports industry? Like when college was done and he was like, this is what I'm going to do. What was that transition like? It was so, I think unexpected would be the best word for it. You know, playing in Europe is so much different than playing in the NBA, for example, just because you're not playing in your home country, you're kind of thrown into whatever, you know, foreign country that they sign a contract with. So the majority of the guys on each team are typically from that home country. So like if you're playing in Italy, the majority of your team is going to be Italian and you might have like anywhere from two to six Americans on your team, but the majority of those guys will be from that country. So, so much of your time throughout the season is based on kind of who you luck out getting as your teammates, I'd say. We had some years where I think like our second year playing, there were no other American wives. We had two Americans on the team, but they were super young, like right out of college and So they came alone. So it was kind of just me and the guys. So yeah, a lot of, I feel like so much of the success of the season from a social standpoint depends on who you end up with for teammates. So I didn't think I really understood how much that like community aspect of it would kind of shape my time everywhere. So that was, that was surprising to me, I'd say, or the biggest surprise that, that I had to deal with. Yeah. Did you find that it was difficult to find friends or make a community when you were over there? Because I feel like that'd be really intimidating to go somewhere completely out of your comfort zone. And then you are still new to the basketball world and you're trying to figure it all out. What was that like? Yeah, it it was definitely tough. I think I expected like, oh, even, even if we'll be in a foreign country, like most people probably speak English or enough English that, you know, I can have friendships with people. And that wasn't always the case. Um, so it was definitely hit or miss some years. I got super lucky and would have like three, four 
wives who I became really close with, who I'm still close with. Um, in other years, like I said, there were there were none. So it was tough and it can be super isolating at times. And I think I learned right off the bat kind of how to find comfort in being alone. And that sounds crazy, but you kind of get used to it. And it's nice to have that community and have other girlfriends there. But I think you're also forced to like really like love and appreciate time with yourself too, because you're going to have a lot of it. Yeah. So talk about going from that to having three kids because time alone is definitely important, but then you transition to having kids and then the kids are a part of this lifestyle. So what was that like for you? Oh, it's like a huge transition, a huge (laughs) shock. I would say I'm somewhat of a social person. You know, I have a, a ton of girlfriends. I like going out, but I also love my alone time, my quiet time. And now I'm like, what is that? I haven't had quieter alone time in five years. Yeah. Yeah. That was a huge shock and a huge change. And especially, I, I think it's funny in the beginning of, you know, my time overseas, so much of my identity was through Dee's job and being a quote unquote basketball wife. And that's how everyone knows you. And then you have kids and you have that huge identity shift where it's like they consume, you know, your life and so much of your identity turns into being a mom to them that you kind of seem to lose yourself a little bit in that. So that, of of course, that happened to me. And it's just kind of funny looking back. I, you know, started my design business around the same time that I started becoming a mom. So I think for me, it was important to give myself a little bit of an out somewhere and to be able to have an an identity outside of both my husband's job and being a mom. Yeah, I love the way that you said that because we are always huge advocates of having your own identity outside of the sports industry. And it's hard. In the beginning, I've shared on multiple episodes that I definitely was very wrapped up in being the coach's wife and kind of lost myself in the beginning because you do like you get wrapped up in the schedule and it's easy to do and you're trying to be at all the things and be supportive but really having your own thing is so so important to be able to have your own identity but with being a mom and working full-time with your design business what was that like because obviously basketball is still in the picture so you kind of had a two for one <laughs> in the beginning with all of the time management yeah that's something I think I still struggle with is like making time for myself and to do things for myself so I'm like please give me all the tips on that I need help there <laughs> but yeah it's it's a lot I mean it's a lot. I had three kids in 22 months. So they were all super young. I think my business really took off during COVID because there was so many people that were sitting around their house being like picking apart everything Mm -hmm. they didn't like about it. Yeah. So that was kind of where when my business took off and it ended up being okay from a time perspective, because for the first time ever, my husband was home with us. His basketball season got like abruptly canceled. So he was home for the first time and it cleared up a little bit of the responsibilities for me where I, you know, it, it would be typically me doing all, everything around the house, everything with the kids while he'd be, you know, gone traveling. So having him home and able to take some of that off for me, I think allowed me some time to kind of jumpstart my business there. So it was just like a really lucky timing situation, I'd say. And what does that tr- what does that look like now? Because obviously now he's back, I'm sure, back in full swing of things. And so you have to balance kind of everything. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's it's crazy now. I would say like my kids going to school is what saves my life. The NBA has 82 games. So 41 of those are away games. 
So anytime between, you know, October and July, he could be gone two weeks at a time, 10 day trips, you know, his, his travel schedule is insane. So I have twins who are three and a five-year-old and I'm like, was on the fence about sending them just because it's just so crazy expensive. And my husband's like, no, you're sending the kids to school. And it's been the best because at least I have, you know, these hours in the middle of the day where I know anything I need to get done, I can get done through these hours. Because if it's outside of that time frame, I know I can't rely on the fact that my husband will be home for anything. So I just kind of have to assume he won't be. If for some reason he is, that's like a, a little bonus that he can take something off my plate. But yeah, sending my kids to school is the only way I've been able to at least try to manage everything. Yeah, with the management and in that decision to send your children to school, I feel like a lot of women, at least that are in our community, there's a lot of mom guilt with that for some reason of having to have that resource, which if you have the finances and the means to be able to do it, I think that it's such a wonderful thing. But with that decision, was there any back and forth in your mind of kind of feeling that guilt of that you could not spend those daytime hours with them? Oh, totally. And I think especially too, that the kids kind of live such crazy lives where they've bounced around so much. Like in my daughter's first, you know, two years of life, she lived in three countries. So knowing how kind of crazy their life is and that they don't see their dad, you know, as much as they should. And we don't live close to family. All of that is guilt in its own. So I think I'm so focused on the time that they're here and the time that they're in my house. I want them to feel loved and stable. And I want them to get that, you know, in the walls of our home, because I can't control all those other factors. But what I can control is how I am as a mom to them when they're here and making them feel secure and stable. And so I focus on that. But yeah, the guilt, the guilt is so real from I mean, everywhere from having them at school to just the lifestyle and how, you know, how different it is that you, you feel guilt over that. But again, I control what I can control and try to be the best mom that I can be for them and know that that at the end of the day is more important than maybe them moving more than other kids or things like that. I appreciate that perspective. And honestly, you just being open about it, because I think a lot of people are worried about what it looks like to others and honestly it's just you're you have to do what you have to do to keep yourself sane to be a good mom so I think that's so important and honestly your kids aren't going to remember I mean I don't remember what my parents did when I was age three or five honestly so I think it's they remember those times at home with you so that's super important but I want to talk about her being in different countries as a kid and what that was like to have such a young kid with you as you're kind of going along in this basketball journey in different countries yeah, it was tough. When I was eight months pregnant, my hu- we were I was about to give birth in Istanbul in Turkey where we were living and my husband tore his ACL. So we immediately flew home to Florida where I'm from in South Florida so that I could have her there and at least be around family for a few months while he rehabbed. So that was kind of wild, but wow. it was nice to at least be in my house with my mom for those initial like few months. And then that following season, she was born in January. So then by like August, he was rehabbed and signed a new contract and got back to playing. So yeah, that initial, like having to move overseas away from my family alone with this like eight, eight month old baby was like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? So that was a huge shock. And I felt so overwhelmed in my first year of motherhood in particular, it was 
just like it can be paralyzing. I think the huge, just drastic change of life and having this little person who needs you and your whole schedule and your life now revolves around them. So it was really overwhelming to me. And we were overseas. We weren't by family. And I was just kind of like, you know what? this is hard. She turned a year old. I'm like, this is really hard. It's not going to get easier. So let's just go ahead and have our second baby so that, you know, we knock this really hard part <laughs> out and just get it over with. It'll be like a really tough couple of years, but we can do it. And then I find out I'm having twins and I'm like, holy shit. Oh my like, God. It's over for me. So <laughs> Yeah, I think it was like a funny God moment of being like, oh, you didn't think you could handle one kid. Like you didn't think you were a good mom. Let me show you what you're capable of doing. So yeah, it was wild, but um, we survived, survived those hard beginning years. And I feel like, you know, I feel like I could do one baby with my eyes closed now, but <laughs> it definitely didn't feel like it during the time. I'll tell you that. That's so crazy. Oh my gosh. What was the doctor's appointment like when they're like, actually, there's like twins in here. Did you have to take a second and sit there and be like, I, I'm what? still taking a second. <laughs> I'm still taking a second. It's been three years. I take several seconds throughout my day. No, I was actually by myself at that appointment. Dee was playing in Poland at the time and I was in Florida for a funeral. So I flew back and I was like, okay, I just, you know, took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant. So I'm going to schedule a doctor's appointment, like with my doctor at home while I'm there so that I don't have to like go through a translator and all that for my first appointment. Like I'll just knock it out while I'm home. And it was crazy. I had never in my life thought about having twins. Like so many people will tell you if you have twins, like, oh my God, I always wanted twins. And I can honestly say like I never wanted twins even with my first I can't even tell you how many times I said like oh my god can you imagine these poor women with twins like <laughs> I said that a thousand times but I never for myself thought of or wanted twins but as soon as I got pregnant that second time I kept having like images and feelings about having twins that I'd That's never crazy. thought of before so I was like even though I was a little bit like warned I think in a sense it was still a shock I mean I laid down for the ultrasound and I'm looking up at the screen and I can see like clearly two but I'm thinking like okay maybe her screen set up that it like mirrored <laughs> some she's getting a couple angles and then she was like well is this your first appointment I'm like yeah and I can see her and she's like well here's the first baby. And I'm like, wait, the, the what? And I think I just screamed like, what? And yeah, I cried for two weeks. I still cry three years later. No, I mean, they're great. I, I love twins, but it's like the shock of a lifetime. I'll, I will say that. Oh my gosh. I can imagine. I'm just thinking because what you did have to have doctor's appointments though overseas. So is that different than America? Like what is that process like? Because I feel like there has to be differences that you experience? The main difference is it's not like in America and just our healthcare system. Everything is like, you know, you have X amount of ultrasounds. Like it's not like every appointment you have an ultrasound and everything's by the books. Like, and over there you have an ultrasound every time you go in it. So it was less like structured like that, I'll say, but not a ton of differences. I will say I, I had a second shock when we were I was at the doctors in Poland. They were probably like, I was, I was still super newly pregnant, like maybe 14 or 15 weeks. And the doctor says to me like, well, 
looks like two girls, you're having two girls. And I'm like, oh my God. So this for like six months, we thought we were having twin girls. And I went back to the States over the summer and went in for another ultrasound. And they're like, oh, do you know what you're having? I'm like, yeah, I'm having two more girls. And they're doing the ultrasound. They're like, yeah, no, you're (laughs) not having two more girls. Like there's two boys in there. So yeah, it was like the pregnancy that never stopped surprising. Oh my gosh, sure. that's so funny. Yeah. I also feel like that's a weird thing to not yeah. miss. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like too early on where oh, I'm like, okay. I don't know. And like, as a doctor, I don't know why he thought he could like go and make that call. But like <laughs> my doctor in the States was like, no, like he could not have been able to tell by then. That's I don't know so what he was doing telling you that. That's yeah. so funny. He's just like, yeah, wild. I, know. I told I told this lady she's yeah. having girls. She's not. Like, yeah. So yeah. did you have a translator in the doctor's appointments with you then in most of the places? Some, some I would. There would typically be like a nurse or something at the office that would speak English that would be able to come in. And otherwise I'd have to bring in like sometimes the manager of like my husband's team or they'd oh send like one female on the staff and you're just like wow like I don't like this is not I don't want to be this up close and personal with someone that like works with my husband every day but that's so funny yeah kind of just had to do what you had to do but it wasn't ideal for sure so do your twins have any kind of like twin telepathy or anything that you've noticed already (laughs) even that they're still young yeah I don't know that I've noticed like the telepathy but they they're like super attached like they can't sleep without one another they like if they're gone apart for 10 minutes, they will like hug for five minutes and be like, oh, I've missed you. I've met. It's like, they're very attached. That's so cute. Oh my goodness. Well, that is a whirlwind. And I want to dive into basketball a little bit before we step into the interior design world, because we have a million questions about that as well. But with basketball, the the overall season is very, very long. And so do you take your kids to all the games or how does that process work for during the season? So I, I will, if it's a weekend game, we'll definitely be there. If it's a weeknight game, depending on when it starts, we'll either sit it out or we'll go for half. But yeah, yeah it's, too, I mean, 80, to like 41 home games. It's just like, I love taking them. They love to go, but I, I can't do it. We have a lot of like back-to-backs too. So for them to be like up super late and then wake up and do it the next day, just always, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, that's wow. a lot. And then when it was overseas, were you guys traveling to a lot of games? Because did they have less games for that team or was it? No, it was way less. They only had like one or two games a week and we never traveled. It was actually like COVID years for I think two of the, our last two years over there where we couldn't even go to the games. So really I brought my daughter when she was super young. I don't think my, my boys ever came to a game because they were like a couple months old when COVID started. They were like too young for me to take them in public. And then we got COVID and no one could come to the games for two years. So I never really had to do it with them until last season when he started coaching. Yeah. Yeah. With the fans though, in the stands, we always love to hear because they're pretty dedicated, the basketball fans. (laughs) So we'd love to hear if you have any stories that you wouldn't mind sharing from things that you've either seen in the stands or like something happening around you. We always like to provide a good laugh because we experience it ourselves on the football side for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I feel like we're not like famous enough to have any really crazy um, (laughs) fan stories. I do remember in college, um, we'd been dating for a while and we played, we were playing against Miami and I'll never forget this fan in Miami had printed out a 
like a cardboard cutout size photo of like me and D when we were in college and like photoshopped his own face onto my husband's face and like brought the cardboard cutout to the game. Like one of my girlfriends saw it and took a picture and sent it to me. So that was, that was interesting. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel like we're like famous enough to have any really good fan yeah. stories. <laughs> No, you're totally fine. We just, we always love to ask because there are some just dedicated people out there to the sport. They love it. They support it. We're here for it as long as it doesn't have anything to do with us physically. We're all good. All good with it. That's so funny. So interior design, I I love all things with that. And I think you're totally right that after COVID, people dove more into their house, their aesthetic, what things they had it within their house that they hated and they just kept walking by every single day because they could and now they were stuck home staring at things so what is something that you tell like your clients maybe something that they might not know about interior design like what's like one of your top tips I think it's so hard these days especially with like Instagram and social media everyone like tends to want like the same house they like these influencers and like the HGTV shows people are like wanting all their houses to look the same and they're all, you know, using those links to all buy these items that these influencers are pushing. And I think at the end of the day, you're, it's so important that your home is a reflection of you and of the people that live inside of it to where it should be unique and it should be different. And your house should not look like your neighbor's house, your friend's house, someone else on Instagram's house. So I think making sure you're seen throughout the house, if you have like behind me in my, um, zoom background like as a gallery wall I have in my living room of different places we've been to or things that are meaningful to us so I think doing things like that and just incorporating maybe your travels or interests or you know things about your family and what makes you unique into your home you don't you want someone to walk in and know that you live there it, they shouldn't be able to walk in and you know not be able to put a face to who lives in the house yeah I think that's a really good point and I I am a a true believer that since we move so much and we're constantly relocating in the sports industry, that having a home that you are proud of and that you want to come in and call your own, I mean, it just makes the entire experience. Like even if you're there for seven months or four years, it doesn't matter. It should always reflect you as a personality. But I think there's a lot of misconception with interior design because, you know, I was talking with a friend actually last week and The misconception is that you need a lot of money to be able to have someone as an interior designer come in and help you with your home. And I don't believe that that's true at all. Well, I think nowadays there's different levels of people that do everything. So I I think, you know, likely you could find someone that's still in school or they have these online programs that you could find where you could find someone maybe with without a ton of experience that that would charge not as much. But I would say at least from my end, it is probably a luxury service, mm-hmm. but but it's worth it. I'd say like the biggest misconception that people have about interior design in general is that, you know, I'm walking into like home goods and picking out candles and pillows just couldn't be further from the truth of what my day looks like. I think like this year alone, we have three or four new builds that we're working on where we're like teaming up with an architect and designing a house from the ground up. So we're doing like full kitchen plans, lighting, electrical, and there's like technically so much that goes into it. And 
so much math. I mean, even for my clients who like, I do a lot of basketball players and all I have like a mathematical equation where I take their height and like their leg length and how they sit and calculate like what the perfect depth sofa is for them and design, you know, furniture for them. So we're not just designing like actual homes, but also the furniture that goes inside a lot of the time. So yeah, I think that's a big misconception is people think we're just picking out pillows, but it's, you know, mathematically and technically there's so, so much that goes into it that like things like pillows and accessories are kind of like the little jewelry on the outfit. It's like the very end little tiny thing that might happen in a day, but there's just so much more that goes into it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like with that, like you, you do think of, you know, pillows, you think of like changing a rug or changing something that's like minimal in a house, but there's so much that's behind that that makes those decisions like the final touches. So where do you pull your inspiration from? Again, I wouldn't say I'm like a Pinterest girl, especially like for the same reasons I said before, because I, I don't want my clients to be like in a bubble where their yeah. house looks like everyone else on social media. So my main goal for my clients, again, is for them to have their home reflect them and their families. So we have like a really strenuous onboarding process where we'll ask them a ton of questions about what works in their current home, what doesn't work, what's important to them. You know, we have, I think there's like 200 something questions that we go through with them and then we design off of there. So it's different for everyone, but our inspiration comes from them usually and what they're looking for. Like one of my basketball players that I'm doing was saying, you know, his job and his life is so stressful that he wants his home to be really peaceful and feel this like Zen calm feeling for him whenever he walks in. So in his case, we started with the lighting because lighting can really set the mood and give that peaceful feeling. And we kind of worked backwards from there. So it really depends. It, it's set and dictated by the client, I would say. That is just so fascinating because a lot of people get really intimidated when they're trying to put together a room. And I think that a lot of um, a lot of people, they either pick, you know, matching furniture or things that they know. They're like, oh, this is easy. We can just like put the, together the room this way. But with your luxury design, when you are starting with a new client, kind of walk us through what's like the steps from start to finish from when you're doing those 200 questions all the way through to having them open the door and walk into what they see. Yeah. So first our onboarding process, we send them a huge questionnaire that goes through their likes, their dislikes, what their wants and needs are for all their spaces. We ask like the height of everyone in the home, the size of the weight, so we can, you know, construct furniture that's going to be the best for what size they are. And then typically it'll take us like four to six weeks, I'd say, to come up with their design plan. And then we have our design presentation where we bring all our samples and we have actual 3D renderings of like what all the rooms will look like. So they will actually see with the floors, with the ceiling, the windows, exactly what their room's going to look like. And this alleviates so many issues from happening down the road because it really takes the guessing out of it. You're seeing everything beforehand. So from there, we go back and forth. If we need to adjust or change anything, we do. And then we're ordering all of our furniture from, from trade vendors. So from vendors that only sell to interior designers. So I don't want to, you know, give my client 
something from Pottery Barn where their neighbor could go into a mall and buy and recreate the same thing. I think that's one of the biggest advantages of working with a designer is we have access to all these vendors that, you know, the public doesn't. So we like to give them super unique options that they aren't going to find walking into their neighbor's house. So we order all the furniture for them. Pre-COVID, it used to take like, you know, around eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks for everything to come in. Then in the height of COVID, it was like taking a year to get furniture. Now it's gone back down. I would say we're at about the six to eight month mark now, which has gotten a lot better. But we do kind of like that HGTV reveal where they'll, if it's a renovation, then we'll ask them to leave the house for like a weekend. If it's a new build, then we'll get everything in before they move in. But we bring our whole team in there and we install everything. We hang all the artwork. We have like all the different tradespeople, you know, the window treatment woman putting up window treatments, all the artwork hung, all the furniture laid out so that it's like that kind of HGTV style reveal where they just walk in and everything's done and placed for them. That's so sounds fun. like my dream. Yeah, that's yeah, literally sounds my, like dream my dream. <laughs> do you ever feel pressure? Like, do you feel pressure with your own house, like with your friends or family being like, I don't know, I feel like with the event oh, industry, yeah. we feel pressure with events and people are like it's going to be so great because you're in the event industry but do you feel pressure with people coming into your house and totally and I'm like I'm like not my own ideal client like I have three young kids who destroy everything I'm probably in a different income bracket than most of my clients are you know so I'm like I'm not at all my ideal client guys don't judge me like (laughs) you know but oh totally I feel pressure to have my own especially when people come over and they're like oh I'm sure your house and I'm like yeah yeah like I you know I I love my house but I also have three insane kids that are like running around with yogurt I'm not gonna have a $30,000 couch that I might you know recommend for a client it's just not gonna happen in my own home so but yeah the pressure is there for sure yeah Yeah. And with budgets, I'm just so interested because I know that with your clients, they obviously have higher end budgets to be able to afford the custom, you know, furniture and pieces like that in the homes. But if you're doing like a player's home, for example, if that is one of your projects, I mean, they are probably so confused on how much things cost. Most players do not know, you know, how much custom drapery costs or anything like that. So how do you break it down to like, layman's terms to show them like this is why it's worth the cost that it is yeah it's that's definitely hard especially because you're typically not furnishing your own home in a full room at a time so if you were to sit down and actually go okay how much did I pay for each piece of furniture everything in this room you'd probably be really surprised at what that end number ends up being But because so many people are either, you know, oh, we've had this for 10 years, we got, it's really difficult to see that number and not get that sticker shock of like, oh my God, I can't believe it costs that much. When really, if you were to sit down and calculate it on your own, you'd probably, you know, be shocked just the same. But before I even take on a client, I'm sending over an investment guide that gives like a big, better, best look at what everything, you know, broken down by room by piece. So here's a sofa, big, better, best, what, what you're going to look to pay for and how many years it's probably going to last you from there. So I think just managing their expectations and knowing like, if you don't want to spend a lot on a sofa, you know, that that's okay if that's where you're at, but let's just have the expectation that you're probably only going to get about four or five years out of it. 
Whereas if you were to spend this amount, you know, this sofa will last you a lifetime. You can have it reupholstered in 10, 15, 20 years. I know a ton about like construction and upholstery construction to where I can look at, you know, what is made in the framework of a sofa and be able to tell you, you know, how long it's going to last you. So I think just managing expectations, but also having those conversations up front for sure. You don't ever want someone to be shocked later on. So I'm having that budget conversation before we even decide to work together. That's so cool. I feel like having that eye too is really important because you can kind of think, see things from a different perspective than someone would see just a couch as a couch, but you're able to kind of see yeah. like the the structure behind it and how long or, you know, how durable it might be for the different perspectives that they might have within their life. Just like you mentioned, kids, animals, things like that, that might be a better fit for them. Yep. So that's so, that's so cool. So we ask this question at the end of every single interview, but if you were to go back in time and tell your younger self one thing, just getting started in the industry, what would you tell yourself? I would probably say just to have grace and give yourself grace. And I think everything kind of goes in waves here. You have these periods where you're like on such a high, everything's going great. It's so fun. And you appreciate all the fun and interesting things about this lifestyle and, you know, appreciate the experiences that you're having. And you're going to have those lows where it's like, you feel lonely. Your husband's gone for a couple of weeks. You're taking on the grunt of the work. So just giving yourself grace to do the best that you can all the time and just be kind to everyone around you and, you know, nurture those relationships with other women in our industry that are going through the same thing. No, that's amazing. We appreciate you coming on and sharing about everything. It's been such a wonderful conversation. And if anyone wants to follow you or your design company, um, where should they go on Instagram? Yeah, my my design company is Interiors by McCall, M-C-C-A-L-L. And then my personal account, if you're brave, is uh, McCall Dulkies, M-C-C-A-L-L-D-U-L-K-Y-S. Awesome. And we will link everything in the show notes for anyone that's interested. But thanks so much again for coming on the podcast. And thanks to everyone that's listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on More Than a Season Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at More Than a Season Podcast or on TikTok at More Than a Season for the latest updates. If you have enjoyed this episode, please download, subscribe, and leave us a review on your choice of platform. See you next time. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.